question. Yeah, it's on. Question about anxiety. We do three things. Number one, eliminate biochemical medical reasons. For example, uh, eliminate biomedical biochemical. That's what you get from inviting me. You learn, <laughs> you, you, learn you, you hear Franco, Arab, uh, uh, English with a heavy accent, stuff like that. For eliminate biochemical or medical reasons. For example, we ask the person about his or her consumption of caffeine in coffee, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, chocolate, consumption of sugar, and any other stimulants, because that will cause anxiety. Number two, we eliminate medical reasons. For example, of course, we have many, here many medical doctors and pharmacists. Um, any uh, medications that will cause stimulation of the brain, any uh, hyperfunction of the thyroid gland in the neck, and we like to see their medication list. Number three, some of the anxiety are specific. The question is about the fear of death and the fear of a potential departure of a spouse. And some other anxiety, my sisters here and my brother can uh, enforce this. We call it uh, generally floating anxiety. Anxiety about just existing. Yeah. Uh, if you ask the person why, why you tremble, why do you have heart palpitation, why do you sweat? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just uh, on edge, on edge why. I am always on edge. So these people who like in, uh, therapy, to go into deeper history from childhood, if there, is, if there was any trauma, the relationship with the parents, um, if there was any si um, signs of abuse of any form, and we start to learn uh, relaxation techniques, including deep breathing exercises, and going to places where it calmed the nerves. Some people will feel relaxed, if they go to the ocean, or to a lake, or to a park. Some people would like to listen to relaxing music. Some other people uh, would like to take some supplements. Some of the supplements, that's non-medication. I don't like, although I'm a psychiatrist, MD, I don't give medications for anxiety. Mm. Unless you are just totally disabled, then that's a different story. Uh, some of the medications are Magnesium with ashwagandha, you get that from CVS. Both of these are plants. Or you can Google that when you go home. You can uh, Google same, S-A-M-E, or 5-H-T-P. These are precursors to some of the neurobiological chemicals in the body, and it, it just enhances the neurotransmitters in the brain to calm the nerves. We always advise the person who has anxiety with insomnia not to go to bed unless you are tired. So hayahsal conditioned reflex between the bed and falling asleep. Some of the people who have very high anxiety, they go to bed waiting for sleep. And then you go into a vicious cycle of anxiety, sleeping, arrive, tossing and turning, and so on. So it needs a detailed, complete history. Of course, uh, I don't want to take a long time. The idea or the feelings 
of fear of death and the fear of the partial of a spouse, of a spouse, that comes from increasing our faith on the Lord. The person who is anxious wants to be in control and as human beings vulnerable, we talked about vulnerability, we can't. It is like somebody asking me, what's gonna happen tomorrow? I don't know. When you're gonna go to heaven? When the Lord calls me? Yeah, so the fear of the departure of the person or the spouse, we delegate that to the hands of the Lord. Christina, next question is for you. How do you distinguish whether you need therapy due to your kids' behavior or your kids need their own therapy? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Hello? Um, that's a good question, and my answer is both. Um, for two reasons, because sometimes we can be so anxious, and I, I would just want to give a quick definition for anxiety. Anxiety is worry that you cannot control. That's what makes a worry uh, different than anxiety, a worry that you cannot control. So oftentimes parents are really concerned about their kiddos, and they will project that concern on the kiddo, and kiddos respond to that, and they then in turn become anxious, and I'm just using anxiety because that was the the example we had just talked about. However, if you see impairments, that's the, the hallmark of what is going to determine if they need therapy, impairments. If there's any shift in your kiddo's functioning or in your functioning, I recommend therapy to the parents concurrently while they are seeking services for the child because the parents will be able to learn skills. And oftentimes parents are so concerned about their kids that they neglect their own needs. So parents should seek services and kiddos can also benefit from services if there's an impairment, so we can go ahead and restore functioning. Let's say they have a hard time uh, going to sleep, uh, they're wetting the bed, they um, you know, are, are misbehaving in school, a, a number of impairments for kiddos. It, you, it doesn't hurt to get an evaluation to find out from a professional, hey, is something going on with my kiddo? And uh, any, I guess, seasoned therapist might also recommend counseling for the parents. Depending on the age, there's different types of therapy for the kids. So for example, two to seven, there's evidence-based practices, parent-child interaction therapy for one. Uh, there's trauma therapy there uh, for any sort of abuse. So you, it's tailor-made for the kiddos. And then in addition to any sort of parenting classes, I do recommend the parents seek their own services in conjunction to support their child. All right, awesome. Um, let's see, next question. Maybe Maggie, you wanna answer this one? Okay, how does one overcome negative thoughts or feelings about one's spouse? About one's spouse? Spouse, yeah. Um, just like we, you know, Makar talked about it, Sylvia talked about it, I mean, this idea of always looking outward is gonna cause problems, right? So if you're wanting to think about how to change your thoughts about your spouse, first, number one step, look internally. Like what's going on with you? What is it that you're struggling with that maybe the problem you're seeing in your spouse, that, that it is really about what you can't handle in them? We were talking about in the, the group discussion the idea of acceptance. So sometimes we have to accept qualities in our spouse that we may not like, because it may not be exactly like what we would do or whatnot, but 
they are who they are. You can't change, once you're an adult, like you really can't change much, right? Like you, you come to therapy to get some guidance, some insight, some perspective, you know, there are some changes you can make, but fundamentally we are who we are. So if you wanna change your husband or wife from not being stubborn, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's, it's gonna be a bit of a struggle. So you have to figure out, well, how do I better deal with some qualities or some characteristics of my spouse rather than thinking, how do I change them? Because, yeah, that was, yeah. I just wanna emphasize something that um, Maggie was, was explaining, is that um, one of a, a big breakthrough for people, in, like as, as an individual, is to realize that you can challenge your own thoughts. Like, like, just because a thought comes to your mind doesn't mean that it is what it is and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Actually, there's whole models of therapy that work around the management of thought. And, and, and Sylvia uh, showed a verse on one of her slides. It, it is such an important verse, uh, Philippians 4, verse 8. And if you just give me like 30 seconds to read it because it's so important. Finally, brethren, and just watch this list. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything, and if there's anything praiseworthy, and the verb that's about to come up is the most important verb that I'm trying to focus on right now. It says, meditate on these things. In other words, he's saying, you choose what to think about. So, if you have negative thoughts coming in, then choose other things to think about. Balance it out, right? It doesn't mean the negative thought is wrong. It just means have a more complete view. Remember what's good. By the way, there's one thing that's pretty tough about emotions and thoughts is that they have a sticking power. They stick, or they're sticky. Like, like when, you, when you have a thought about someone not being good, that come, brings on some emotions. You can't just switch out of that emotion in one second. You're gonna stay with that emotion for a little while, right? It's, so, so that's why we have to try to uh, avoid falling into this negative process, right? Meditate on the good things. Right. Sylvia, this is probably a good question for you. How do you navigate marriage alongside children who take up most of the time? Don't want, I don't wanna feel like I've lost my spouse along the way, hashtag the struggle is real. The struggle is real. I think that's a common struggle among everybody, no matter what phase we're in. Uh, we talked about this extensively in every single one of our three groups. How do we manage that? Can you, can you really have it all and not drop the ball, right? Can we, but I think as the theme that I keep hearing here today is the meaning we give everything, the choices that we make, this is how we will lead. We make time for the gym. We make time for that coffee run. We make time for everything. We have to make time for each other. And I don't know, it doesn't have to be the big grandiose dates, but we have to be able to check in with each other daily. So we gave a great example um, earlier. Um, I, I'm gonna share this. Uh, one of my best friends and her husband, they have three kids and two dogs. And I really look up to them because I love the way they've done their family. They spend time and they serve faithfully and both very busy. They have a white couch. And I'm like, the house is done beautifully. 
And I looked at, I'm like, are you crazy that you have a white couch? And, and her husband's like, no, 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 that couch is for us. It's mom and dad and our Shay, and the kids know when we're sitting on this couch, you gotta get out. They make time every day to, to check in to each, with each other. So everybody's home and everybody's safe. We don't have to get the sitter and go out. Sometimes the last thing you wanna do is, is head out the door. But that check-in keeps us tuned in to each other. It can only be half an hour sometimes, but it's really important. So yes, the struggle is real. But remember, it's the most important relationship. You were a wife before you were a mother. And we have to remember this. Anyone want to add? Um, can you guys hear me? OK, awesome. So there's also this uh, intervention by John Gottman. John Gottman is one of the biggest names in uh, the field of couples therapy. He's very uh, scientific with his findings. He'll talk about you know the, the biochemistry of the brain, et cetera. He has this one intervention, which I know some of you are familiar with, called State of the Union. And this allows the couple to connect on a weekly basis. Yes, I do agree with Sylvia. Try to find a daily time. Uh, that might be brief to spend just a few minutes with your spouse every day. However, every week, set aside a time. It could be every Sunday night from you know 8 to 9 p.m. We will discuss what was great about the past week, what did not go great about the past week, and what you want to do to contribute to that. So just like we have an activity of investing in yourself, think of this state of the union as investing in your marriage. You are able to talk about the highs and lows. You can find out what's going on with your spouse. You know, what's going well? Oh, I didn't realize it meant so much to you that um, I gave you an hour to, to go get your nails done. And, you know, I didn't realize it hurt you when I uh, was on my phone during dinner yesterday. So it gives your uh, the couple an opportunity to connect, and that is recommended to be on a weekly basis. If you want more information on that, John Gottman, uh, we have a few books outside. Just Google him, and you can uh, Google this intervention called State of the Union. So one other thing, too, is to think about, like, I know you guys have all heard the five love languages. Not if you have. Yes, most of you, right? So if you haven't, whether you have or haven't, it is of the utmost importance, if you are married, if you are dating, if you are engaged, to think about and to learn, figure out your love language, the one that you want to receive love, and the love language that you default to giving. But the most important thing too is to figure out what your spouse, what he or she wants, and what they naturally give. Because I find with couples the biggest issue is that the miscommunication of love. So that idea of like the 30 minutes, like, oh, you give me time to go, but maybe I would rather have a hug in that 30 minutes because maybe my love language is touch or maybe I want you to buy me a gift because maybe gifts are, are my love language. So if you know your spouse, you know their love language, then you will work every day to speak their language. And again, maybe not every day, but at least once a week, you should be like doing something that you're thinking this will fulfill their need and put love in their love tank, which is from their love language. So this is an awkward question to ask a panel therapist psychologist. So I'm the messenger. Don't shoot me, okay? What if your spouse doesn't believe that therapy works and that thinks that psychology is a waste of time? Again, not me. I did not ask that. Dr. Solomon, maybe you can answer that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm the lucky one. I'm a psychiatrist. So it doesn't apply to me. 
The wife didn't say psychiatrist. something to believe in or not believe in okay like this isn't like a theory it's it's just it's a science like it's just part of life like there's a psychology that we all have you don't have to buy into it you don't have to believe in it so if you are struggling or if you notice things are not going right it is just having a third person help you out it, it it's again not something to believe in it's not like uh, we're not trying to change you we're not trying to like infiltrate your mind and then I'm going to be a mind reader and then I'm going to change like we don't do that it is we are just like Makar said like you you sometimes do need a third person like an intervener like someone to come in if you don't believe in therapy that's okay I don't understand it but if you don't that's okay go to Abuna go to a good friend go to Uncle Nabil like you know like find somebody that you feel like can come and help you ask you the questions guide your discussion help you find some insight into why you do what you do. Although I am not a psychologist, can I add my two cents? Okay. I had a case where um, in counseling, uh, usually men are more resistant to go to counseling. And uh, you hear lots of excuses, like uh, what does he know that I don't know? Or I'm not going to you know, spread my dirty laundry, dirty laundry to, an, to, yeah, to, to another man, and so on. So I had a case where there was an ongoing conflictual relationship, marital relationship between a husband and wife, and the wife came, and we invited the husband, and I called him, and she told him the doctor went to see him. He is from Upper Egypt, and he said, no, I'm not going. So we continued with the wife. The benefit for the wife, this is you know, to answer the question, he doesn't believe in psychology or counseling. The benefit for the wife is two things. Number one, supportive, confidential environment where she can unload, no, no judgment, uh, some directions, uh, and so on. Number two, the husband ended up coming <laughs> when he saw the positive changes in the wife. He wanted to come to see. <laughs> she became happier, more smiley, more communicative, more serving attitude, less arguments. So he became intrigued. He wanted to see what does happen in the counseling. So I think the person who volunteered to go to counseling can entice the other spouse by positive personal changes in him or in her. Uh, if, if, uh, if you knew what we're spending time doing in our training, you would not neglect this resource. Like I was sitting there in, in my master's program just like this. Like, like I'm like, there is no way I would have learned this stuff anywhere else. We're going one problem after the next, after the next. 10 to 15 different ways to see the same problem. 15 different questions. Watching therapists do therapy live and then talk to us about what they did. And, and we give them feedback and they give us feedback. We do therapy and then they give us feedback. Like we're just, it's just this whole thing all focused on not manipulation, 
not brainwashing. It is just support. We spend so much time just learning how to operate in the value system of the client. Like we're not even trying to impose values, right? We learn how to take in a diversity of values to work within them. I just want to add, uh, just emphasize or support what Dr. Nabil said because I had it here is that if your spouse doesn't want to go, just like we were saying with spirituality, don't turn going to a therapist into a, a, an area of tension because now it's going to be harder for them to go later because now it's a question of ego and going back on their word, right? So, so if, you, if you, your spouse doesn't want to go, you go, right? Focus on what you can control. That's gonna, already going to make a, a big difference. But of course, please, everybody here, don't be that guy, don't be that girl. Everybody here, uh, if your spouse is saying we need help, uh, uh, just go, you know, somebody who loves you and is a, is a professional and cares and, and see how it goes. And, and try it at least like two or three times, you know. Where does radical acceptance fit in if things are just not going to change and divorce is not an option? Anyone? Rock, paper, scissors. I love the concept of radical acceptance. I talk about it all the time. Because it is something not, you can't just accept. Sometimes it has to be a radical acceptance. Like I just have to accept my spouse for who they are. And I cannot assume or hope or wait for them to change. Or I, it's, sometimes it is radically accepting. And you know, those of you that have interacted with me, I've been complaining a lot about my son. I'm sorry, Isaiah, I love you so much. But it is this idea of like accepting toddlers like how defiant they can be and how upsetting it is like but there comes a point where you as a parent it's it is like okay I just have to accept who you are this like you're this is a hard stage of life I just have to accept it the same with our spouses the same with our parents how many of us like look at our parents and we're like like you drive me crazy sometimes it's literally instead of causing that anxiety that tension within yourself to think, gosh, I wish this was different, I, I wish I could change it. Instead, thinking about what a radical change I could make if I just fully accepted. Like how difficult that would be to just fully accept and embrace what's in front of you instead of always wanting to change it, to make it better, to tweak it. That's, yeah. So, and that, that's dying to self, right? What we talked about. So Dr. Mamalakis in his book, Parenting Toward the Kingdom, says, and I love this, our children are icons of Christ, and we have to venerate them. It's the same with our spouses. They are icons of Christ. So, dying to self is not easy, but when we radically accept the peace and fulfillment that we feel. All right, um, Makar, I think this question is for you. It says, you mentioned an interesting example of a husband who is insecure. What if the husband is really a controlling person and this is not an exaggeration? Okay, uh, I'm just gonna assume that the, cert that the factors are as stated, that the, that the husband is actually controlling, okay? And, and it's not an, an ins a question of insecurity. Uh, and remember, just in general, before I move into that assumption, usually there's a lot more going on but, but just assuming that the husband is actually controlling, that, that, that is like some, uh, almost like a, a prodrome of, of abuse, right? It's, some, it's in that same area. Um, what I would say is 
you have to start uh, setting boundaries. That's it. Start setting boundaries, okay? Um, uh, but don't set boundaries out of revenge. Don't set boundaries to control back. Don't set boundaries to punish. Set boundaries to care for yourself and do the right thing, okay? Uh, you can also ask for support if you haven't already. Um, so, but I think asking for support by now, we've spoken so much about it, uh, like, please don't ignore this, it's very important. But back to the boundaries point, um, uh, boundaries are not easy. They're painful. Actually, uh, they're hurtful sometimes too. You know, an interesting boundary that, that is very hurtful is, you know, when, you set, when, uh, when children set a boundary against their parents after they get married, right? Like for the parents can be like, oh, I am, I'm your parent. I raised you all these years. You were in my womb and, you know, I fed you this and all, after all this, this is what you're going to do. But sometimes for the sake of your marriage, you have to set boundaries, right? So, so that might be an easier example to understand how boundaries work, right? Boundaries, as um, the, the most famous authors are um, Henry Cloud and John Townsend on boundaries. It's a really great book. Uh, changed my life. Huh? Oh, it's outside. Yeah, yeah, great. It's outside. It's, it's an amazing book. Um, the, um, he makes an important distinction that boundaries hurt, but they don't harm. Boundaries hurt, but they don't harm. What's the difference between hurting and harming? If you go to have a surgery, uh, and St. John Chrysostom talks about this too, what he talks about the work of a priest. He says, you know, you go to a surgeon, and the surgeon has to open you up, right? He's, it's going to hurt, but is that harming you? No, it's going to hurt, but it's good for you, right? The same thing with boundaries. So, uh, so, so if, if, the, if the husband is actually controlling my, my sister, please uh, start to set boundaries. I can tell you, you need support as you do that. As you set boundaries, you're going to need support, okay? People to support you because you don't know what the, the blowback is that you're going to get. But think about the alternative, which is to live in this for the rest of your life without making any attempt to change anything. And that's a disaster. And, and the, the worst, la the, an additional layer is what message are your kids getting by watching your boundaries be violated so much? So there, there's multiple layers of problems if you don't break the cycle and set the boundary. And if anyone wants to add to anything. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, uh, a boundary is simply, th there's different forms of boundaries, okay? Uh, boundary is simply, let me just define it first and then explain just a few simple forms as quickly as I can. Uh, boundaries are saying where you start and where you end. Like, where do I stand? That's what a boundary is. It's kind of like, a, like a, a fence. It's not an impermeable wall that no one can get through. But it's just saying, this is this wall around me. I, this stuff is allowed in and this stuff is not allowed in, okay? What are some boundaries? Uh, time, space, even just your skin is a boundary, right? And, and things that you'll accept and that you won't accept, right? These are boundaries. Anything else you want to? Language, right? So, um, so simply, like, you're, who, you're no one on earth uh, is entitled to disrespect you. No one on earth is entitled to disrespect you. So what is the boundary that you can set 
if someone disrespects you? Well, the first time it happens, you have to, make, you have to say, oh, okay, it seems like the boundary is not clear. So you give the benefit of the doubt and you say, okay, maybe they don't know that that's disrespectful to me. So you say, hey, uh, very calmly, this is a, an objective way, this, this, I felt disrespected uh, and I don't like this treatment. Okay? So next time it happens, hey, I, like I mentioned before, this is disrespectful to me, I don't like this treatment, and if this happens again, this is what I will do. And you need to prepare for that. Prepare for what you will do. And the boundary has to be in, what you're going to do has to be in proportion to the offense. Right? So you can't say, if you disrespect me again, I'm going to punch you in the face and curse your mother and all the... No, right? Like you have to say, if, if you disrespect me again, uh, I, I will have to take a time out from, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever it is. Right? Like our, our, we, we can't go on a date or I, I can't be intimate with you. Not as a punishment, but I can't be intimate with you physically if emotionally I'm feeling so hurt. Right? And then you think of these things, and with support, you come up with these boundaries. And like we said before, you enforce them every time. Like never, when, before you come up with the boundary, make sure that's something that you can enforce. Sometimes, in the cases of abuse, what do you do? The first thing we do when there's a case of abuse is we establish a safety plan, right? Which almost always involves how are you going to get out if you're about to be abused? How are you going to get out? Maybe sometimes it's opening up new money checking accounts, uh, having another place to go. I, I, have, I have a case like this right now, right? Where are you going to go? Money, uh, the children, what are you going to do, right? And, and, it, and sometimes it has to happen. And once the boundary is enforced, uh, the rest will, will fall into place. I hope that's uh, okay. Yeah. You want to be able to communicate that boundary, right? If all of a sudden someone is setting a limitation within your marriage, but you, you're not communicating with your spouse, that does feel punishing. It does feel like a, a random punishment. Like, oh my gosh, how come now you're telling me we can't do this, but you know we're just able to do it before? So communication is key. Like I know everything that we've all said, it, we have like talked around the word communication, but communication is like of the utmost importance. And I know women tell me a lot like, oh, my husband doesn't like to communicate, doesn't like to talk. I know men are different than women. Women like to chat, you know, we're, we're talkers. But it doesn't mean that men can't communicate with you. It's just that they may not take an hour conversation like women, we wanna sit with a coffee and drink and talk, but at least have a five minute discussion about, let's talk about what boundaries make sense to us. How much time do we wanna spend with the in-laws? How much time do, you know, we do this? Or what words do we wanna use in the house? You get it. Can I add something? If you are being accused as a man of being a controlling man, you need to do four things. Number one, Take that to the prayer room because the Lord and the Holy Spirit will give, some, give you some enlightenment of certain behavior that you heard from the spouse for being accused as controlling. Number two, you need to reflect on your perception of your spouse. Who is she for you as a woman? Number three, go back to your parents and examine the example of manhood that your father and your uncles and if you had a grandfather exhibited for you. Because in the subconscious, that's what a man should behave. How did I get that? I got that by identifying with my father and the men in my family when I was a child. Number four, the last point, just to discuss between you and yourself 
May Christ as an, a model of the ultimate man, was he controlled? How did he behave with the people who questioned him? The people who accused him? The people who wanted to challenge him by many questions? He allowed the communications and allowed the answering and the question. He was not bossy. So these four points, if you are being accused of being a controlling man, and you want to be closer to Christ, and you want to be a good role model for your wife, attracting her to Christ and to your children, these four points usually in therapy are helpful. Well, here's another tough question because a lot of people are related. Um, I, um, how do you set healthy boundaries with your parents, in-laws, and siblings to lessen the influence they have on your marriage? within the Coptic community is the idea of in-laws and how intrusive, you know, how often they want to see the kids, how often they want to see you as a couple. It's, you know, one of the best pieces of advice Abuna Gorgios gave us when we first got married was your first year is your protected year of marriage. You know, he would say, like, don't invite people over. I mean, it was a little extreme. But he would say, like, don't invite people over to your house. Like, make your first year of marriage be, like, sanctified. Like, you and, and your husband, your spouse, it's just the two of you and God. Like, that's, that's it for your first year. And it was, it's just, I mean, you know, it's a little hard to do. But it, when you think about the concept of how, how important it is and how... Um, sacred that bond is it's hard we're all talking about how tired we all are and how much we don't have enough time to work on our marriages and we have kids and this and that can you imagine then you're also adding in how to set some time limits on your parents and then your husband or your wife's parents it's it's a lot right because you you do want that connection you want that relationship to grow and to be great but you also need to recognize there has to be limitations so it's something, again, communication, is something you and your spouse have to talk about. How much time and energy do we want to spend with our families? Like literally sit down, talk about per week, how many hours are we going to spend with your family? How many hours are we going to spend with mine? What holidays are we going to do? Like how are we going to do our holidays? Like figure all that out so that you've discussed it before the fights begin, right? Before, you know, Tant comes and says, actually, like I need more than just an hour this week. Like, Okay, like let's talk that through, but that's what a boundary is, right? To be able to say, 
we only have Saturday from two to four. At, we're so mean to, to my in-laws. We literally invite them over, but we tell them we have from 10 to noon. So you guys can come from 10 a.m. to noon, okay? So at 12 o'clock, bye, Uncle Biden. Have a great ride home. Like, it may seem rude and whatever, but the truth is like that they respect our boundary and that is like the only way to preserve like my marriage, my, you know, sanity, my children, like all of that. But because that's just what you should be doing as a couple is, you know, hoarding the time that you have together. Because we give away our time like it's nothing. But you have to do it together, Sylvia says, and it's so true. Yeah, I'll uh, quickly, uh, boundaries, uh, uh, the, especially the significant ones, should be set by the biological child. So uh, don't, don't ask the, the child-in-law to set the boundaries with your parents. Okay, that's very important. Uh, also, uh, parents can be unhealthy. They're not always unhealthy. And a lot of times they're very fine, right? Um, so, but, but, but just acknowledge that sometimes some parents' desires can be too much. Right? It doesn't, just because they're your parents doesn't mean they're perfect, right? And your parent, you, many of you are parents and you know you're imperfect. Same th thing applies to your parents, right? Um, also, uh, different, there are differences amongst the, what each spouse thinks the place of family is. And that's just a difference you have to deal with, right? You have to manage that difference. You negotiate it. The same way you negotiate every other difference you have in your relationship, right? But, but you know, one spouse thinks, oh, you know, family, we should just be around them all the time. The other one thinks, you know, we see them uh, here and there. Or, or we, one thinks we ask them for advice. The other one thinks we don't. And you negotiate these differences. And lastly, God is calling you to prioritize your spouse. God is, there is nothing here. There is nothing that says, God says prioritize your parents after you get married. Nothing that says that. Nothing says that. Honor your father and mother, but you, but you also honor the whole world. You honor every human being, right? So, but God is calling you to honor your spouse, to, to prioritize your spouse. So, so please, uh, you will never be going against God's will by prioritizing your marriage. Because your relationship with your parents is not a sacrament. Your relationship with your spouse is, right? Another important thing is, yes, we're hearing all this information, and sometimes it could be overwhelming, and then when you're in the thick of like trying to set boundaries, you're like, I don't know how to do this, like, what did they say, and you can't find your notes and everything. It's important to educate yourselves and find the answers. So I'm going to provide you with a few resources, one of which is out on the resource table. However, as Makar mentioned, the biggest uh, literature, the largest uh, set of literature right now on boundaries is by uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend. They write a, a series of books uh, on boundaries. So there's boundaries, just a general one, boundaries in dating, boundaries uh, with kids, boundaries in marriage, boundaries with leadership at work, etc. So educate yourselves. And it's, it's a long book, and it has tons of examples. You're bound to connect with at least some. But it will give you examples. It will give you scripts. It will educate you on how to set these boundaries in a healthy way. There's also one more. It's called Set Boundaries, Find Peace. A guide to reclaiming yourself and I think this would be applicable for both this question and the question previously about the controlling spouse. Sylvia this question is for you. What do you suggest to do when the intimacy needs are not balanced? So, so 
that tells me is that somebody, the imbalance, someone is feeling dismissed or hurt um, and not connecting, right? So intimacy is very different for men and women. So are we checking in and seeing uh, what the other needs? That, that's, that's what tells me. I'm still thinking about the answer to this, um, but the answer's within the two of you. So if you ask, what do you need? What can I do? How can I help? Checking in, being attuned, right? And knowing what, what the intimacy means to me, how I can feel seen and let my guard down and be able to connect, and how you can feel like I'm meeting your needs and respecting you and affirming you. Anyone want to add? I was also thinking about the boundaries. Sorry. Because uh, this is big for our um, community. I, 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 you might all disagree with me, but I don't think we're very well-boundaried community, right? right? My door was open, right? Um, and it's a hard concept to implement, but it's absolutely necessary. But boundaries keep us out of resentment, right? So if we wholehearted, if we say no to something, it's so we can wholeheartedly say yes. Brene Brown talks a lot about boundaries. Um, I, I really recommend that you, even if you don't like to read, you can virtually listen to anything now. Even the uh, Henry Cloud has weekly podcasts that you can listen to. Um, the intimacy question I'm going to send over to Makar. Uh, thanks. I was just going to say, if this question specifically is referring to sexual intimacy, if the sexual intimacy needs are not balanced, I want to first say there is almost definitely something else going on. That's really important. It's not sexual until we've discussed the emotional and the the social, the relational, intellectual, spiritual. Uh, the second thing is, um, you know, uh, it, it, is very, it is very uncommon to find a husband and wife that have the same level of sexual desire. Um, but uh, if all that's going on is just that, then you negotiate it the way you negotiate other differences. The issue almost all the time, and I, we can talk more about this at a different time, but almost all the time there is something else going on that is a, a big obstacle in helping them negotiate their sexual uh, uh, differences. So differences don't have to separate you. They can be something that makes you both feel great actually when your differences are respected. Sorry, I talk a lot, but it's because these topics are so important to our community and it's just like, it's, I wish, yeah, I wish we had this like every week, but um, you know, one thing in our community we do not talk about a lot, and I think Uncle Nabil, you know, can second it, but is sex. Like we don't talk about sexual intimacy. Sorry, Buna, you know, sometimes we think it's like a bad word, but it's not. When it, in the context of marriage, it is not a bad word, but it is a topic that people find very uncomfortable. They don't talk about it. You know, every time I give like a talk, uh, you know, within the Coptic community, I cannot tell you how many couples pull me aside after, and the number one question they have is to talk about sexual intimacy. It is because they don't talk to their parents about it. They're not talking, you know, I, mean, I don't know how much you're talking to Abuna about it. I mean, it's just not something you're, you're discussing enough, right? So, I mean, this is where, like, couples may need some guidance, some help in that area, like, 
yeah, it's it's just it's like a big, big, big topic and a big issue for a lot of the Coptic, you know, couples that I think I wish it wasn't such a struggle. I wish we could communicate more because it is not a dirty word in the context of marriage, right? It's not a sin in the context of marriage. But, but I think we're starting to have that conversation, though. And on the book recommendation list, there's a couple of uh, recommendations just on this topic. In a pre-Kena class, I think Makara and I serve in, it's, it's actually called The Holiest of the Holies. That is how we should regard married sex. Can I add something? I'll just add uh, two points. Uh, when you go home, open your Old Testament to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. The whole chapter is about human sexuality, including some parts of the female body. It's not a symbolic language. The context is about sexuality. It's not the song of songs. And it is two parts. One is sexuality that's irresponsible, meaning my son don't go with a foreign woman. Her talk is like molasses, is like honey, but it will end up going to death and so on. The other part, encouraging the sexual intimacy between the husband and wife as planned by God. In another word, Christianity is not against sexuality. Although we have been taught that in the society, in the culture, Christianity is against irresponsible sexuality. Before marriage, outside the marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, sex, sex for fun, as the society is trying to teach us, number one. Number two, the last point, St. Paul taught us a beautiful exchange of bodies when it comes to sexuality. The man has no control over his body, comma, but the wife does, period. And the woman doesn't have control over her body, comma, but the man does. In some counseling sessions, when there is a big difference in intimacy, usually, in most of the cases, the man has more sexual desire than the woman, and if the woman is hyposexual in his opinion, what are you doing with her verbal and emotional needs? Because sometimes a woman retracts because the man thinks she should be like him. She should be ready at any time, and it, it is different, as uh, uh, we explained earlier during the day, in sexuality and human intimacy, men are different than women. So, St. Paul is telling us in the marriage, blessed marriage bed, the husband and wife, they exchange their bodies out of love for the partner. But if there is a big gap, I think in counseling, you need to explore the sexuality where it is coming from, the needs for each spouse, and sometimes, unfortunately, we have a few some traumatic experiences in childhood that carries on to adulthood. Well, I think we know what our next seminar is gonna be about, because my phone <laughs> is blowing up about sex questions right now. So, um, 
So I'm going to uh, combine two more questions into one, and I think we are out of time, unfortunately. So, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to combine these two. So first is how many times a week, month, years considered healthy when it comes to intimacy between a couple? And alongside that, intimacy with question exclamation mark, the kids are emotionally and physically draining. Although I want to be more connected to my spouse, there isn't any energy. What do I do? Okay, just quickly. First question, uh, how much is the right amount? There is no answer. You come up with the answer as a couple, okay? You come up with it. This is, this is it seems like we're just making this, we're taking uh, this difference between husband and wife, and we're putting it in another category as if it's a difference that has to be dealt with in a very different way. It is just another difference in two people's desires for something. Hey, do you want to eat lasagna tonight or do you want to have steak? That's it. Do you, do you want to have sex twice a week or four times a week or once a week or once a month? Right? So, so you discuss it. And believe me, because you can't even assume that the woman has less sexual desire than the man. Like, like it's... You just can't. And I, I made that assumption one time in a therapy session, and I just, bam, right in my face, like I was, I was just flat out wrong, flat out wrong. Uh, so please just d don't try to refer to a right or wrong amount. You have to be a healthy couple, so discuss the difference and figure it out, what, what works for you. Uh, on the second question, uh, kids and tiredness, honestly, Make the time. Go if you have to go on vacation. You have to go on a tr day trip. Whatever you got to do, get, put give them a, a babysitter. Whatever you got to do, you could even schedule it. It's very very fine nowadays to schedule sex. Okay, and sometimes we think, oh, it has to be spontaneous. You know why we think it has to be spontaneous? Because the only thing, the most, the thing we know the most is Hollywood and pornography, right? And, and, and that's where, where the music is always playing in the background, the wind is blowing in her hair, and the, the lighting is always perfect. You know what's happening in real life? It's like, hey, you know, uh, let's turn on the candles. Wait, where are the matches? You know? Like, what do we do, right? And, and, and oh, wait, can we shut off the light? Wait, not like this. Oh, it's too warm in the room. You know, it's too cold, right? What do we do, right? So that's what's happening in real life, but we're not seeing that. So... Uh, uh, prepare, do the work, and remember experimentation, exploration, it's an iterative process. And sorry I took so much time from my colleagues. I just have a quick addendum to that. So a few years ago I did a study on uh, marital satisfaction with Coptic couples, many of whom are represented today. And um, on the topic of frequency of sexuality, the number of times that one of the questions addressed, what is your current sexual frequency per week, and what is your desired sexual frequency per week? Uh, the answer was, uh, what was realistic was the ones per week, although many, uh, you know, that was just the average. And the desired was three to five. And that was true for both men and women. So there's an overwhelming desire, no pun intended, to have more sexual intimacy with your partner. So there's no right answer. However, many couples do desire more, and it, I know it can be awkward, but it's okay to talk about it with your spouse. Sometimes in the therapy room, we see couples who have not been intimate for two, three plus years, and then you ask them, well, you know, what, what does your partner think of it? And they say, I don't know, we've never talked about it. Just on the topic of being tired, sex doesn't only have to happen at night. Shocker. Like it can happen in the morning when you're awake. Like 
midday, you know, it just, it, we, we get stuck in our minds of like, oh, it has to be in our bedrooms, in our bed, at bedtime, every, you know, it's like, okay, let's think outside the box just a little bit. Like, think about other times you could have sex. Think about other places you could have. It doesn't have to be in a bed. So, yeah, that's my thought. Uh, guys, I just want to quickly say, uh, when a couple comes in with sexual issues, there's three levels of work that, that happen, and they happen in this order. The first level is, uh, is establishing emotional intimacy. So they come into the therapist. What does the therapist do? Level one is establishing emotional intimacy. Basically, you don't talk about the sex, right? You, you talk about it to understand what the, problem, the presenting problem is, but you're not going to spend all this time trying to fix the sexual problem. You're going to first make sure that they're emotionally connected. The second level is facilitate sexual communication. In other words, you, do, you give them the actual questions and phrases and words and everything to say to talk directly about their, sexual, their sexuality. I like it when you touch me here. I don't like it when you do this. Please do more of this or this hurts, right? They talk directly about it. And that's usually that is one of the biggest obstacles in our sexual intimacy. And there is so much literature about this. The third level, the final level, is classical sex therapy where you actually give them exercises for, for what to do during sex, right? So you can see that we have to get through a lot of stuff before, before the actual mechanics of sex are the problem, right? There's a lot of things. So, so, so think about it in that order because that's the order that, that we need to, uh, that's healthy. I'm not going to continue answering the sexual questions. I just want to say... I know Dr. Danny has um, a list. I just want to say what you have witnessed today is the history of orthodoxy. Um, I am one of the servants at St. Peter and St. Paul Church in Santa Monica. The church had planned and arranged uh, the marital seminar for 14 consecutive years. We stopped the last year because of the COVID and the pandemic. But the church all the time takes the baton to give it to the younger generation. And when the church does this, you find a beautiful, excellently prepared day like today. Uh, the efforts to have a day like that, Dr. Danny will explain but uh, 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 it is easy to come and have the lectures and listen to the talks and go to the food and have the games. Children are being entertained and we, we leave. But it is hundreds of hours are put in a day like that. So uh, Dr. Danny will take over. Uh, thank you again for a great panel discussion. Uh, once again, we'd like to thank you all for coming. Um, this was our first year to run this seminar. Um, we hope to do it regularly. We would like to collect your feedback. So we'll be sending a survey, very important, to the email that you registered with. Please, please, please fill it out um, while everything is still fresh in your minds. We want to make this better, okay? 
Um, it's for us. It's for all of us. So, Danny, so, forgive me. We're meeting on Thursday to debrief. So if you can give us your responses before Thursday, we'll have time to collect. And uh, we really, really, really value your feedback. So like, please give it soon. Thanks. Sorry, Danny. Yeah. Thanks. No, thank you. And we also ask for couples to do it separately um, so we can gather as much information as possible. Uh, it's completely anonymous again, uh, so feel free to be as brutally honest as you want to be. Um, we hope to continue to improve based on all your feedback, so thank you.